This is exactly right. You can work it out in every town yeah. if you d- do it different. Did you sit down? I can't no. tell. <laughs> There's no seats there. SRO right in front? Yeah. Happy uh, St. Patrick's Happy Day, St. everybody. Day. Are you good and fucked up tonight? <laughs> good. What good. is it? Punch, punch me, I'm Irish? What's <laughs> Punch me, I'm Irish? Is that right? Yeah, I mean, that's what it ends up as, yeah. yeah. Doesn't really matter what the shirt says, because punch me, I'm Irish. Punch, it's more like punch you, I'm Irish. Do not steal that I'm making the fucking shirt. Don't steal it. TM, TM, Steven, Steven, Steven copyright it immediately. Copyright. He's, he's under your cloak. <laughs> there he is. is. You little rascal. <laughs> No, he's banned from the city. <laughs> Ugh. Oh, what Steven did. The Super Bowl that you year. Holy shit. Anymore. Super Bowl, that's right. Right? Remember? We know about Super Bowls. He lo- First of all, he loves football. I had to remember what. <laughs> Definitely football. How are we not talking about your fucking cake? How could we. Guys, listen, um, listen. Look. We went to an amazing thrift store right outside of Cincinnati this morning. Yeah. Uh, Casablanca Vintage. Yeah. And we, we were like, let's go get something green to wear on stage tonight, obviously. That didn't work for me very well. But the shit we were like holding up for each other, what about this? It was the most hilarious, just an array of jumpers and onesies from the 50s and that someone cried ro- Like terry cloth robes. I was like, I'd wear it as a dress. Who gives a shit? <laughs> yeah. And then you pick this up. Well, I saw this because I knew going into that thrift store, as a, as a person of size who also loves thrift stores, I know there are certain, there are certain areas that you go to, you're like, I'm all the way down at the end of the rack. <laughs> And there's going to be like seven Italian widow dresses down there. And we'll see what we get. And we'll try to have fun with it. You know what I mean? They didn't make tits and asses like this in 1952. I hear it's something about manufacturing. It's the processing of food these days. Anyway. So I was kind of like, wanted to have the fun, but knew the fun wouldn't be there for me if I really tried. And then I fucking blazed by this thing, and I was just like, capes fit everybody. But then also, I'm sorry, what are the fucking odds of a bright green cape? Like, what are the odds? there's none. There are no odds. They don't exist. It's like a green flag. Yeah. Finally a green flag. Yeah. It's, it's lovely. It's yours. It's everything. Thanks. 
Um, Plus, pocket. Pocket. What if the cape had pockets on the inside? Oh, we should have sewn some in for you. I don't have any green on. Sorry, I'm Jewish. It's okay. Don't. You can pinch me. What the fuck kind of holiday? <laughs> I really did it. Like, what Irish people that they'll pit? What if at Hanukkah, if you didn't spin the dreidel right, they just smacked you in the face? That doesn't... We do that. Um, <laughs> on Hanukkah. We don't, we don't know it's Hanukkah, but... Look, I think pinching is definitely a thing that drunk people do. Um, I just think everything, if you trace anything of the holiday... Uh-huh. Corned beef. Okay, oh, that's yeah. someone that... Someone that was trying to cure some beef and they fucked it up. <laughs> or pork or whatever the fuck. That shit is, it's like a salt lick that you have to chew. They forgot they were boiling cabbage on the, on the stove. Yeah, they're like so drunk, they're like, this cabbage is going to be amazing. Impossible. There's no way to make it good. Nice try, Grandma Ann. <laughs> um... Right, like Irish, Irish soda bread, oh, disgusting. So they take what they want to be a dessert bread, and they're like, but what if we make it 17 times more dense than normal bread? <laughs> and then put caraway seeds in it, like a bunch of dicks. Oh, and, and then a sprinkling of golden raisins to, just to round out the torture. No. We're not a culinary people. <laughs> that, that's but why she, we drink. <laughs> But y'all are fun to hang out with. Right? Yeah. You don't even know how fun I can be. Let me tell you something. Uh-oh. Do you have any money? <laughs> That's what it was like. Do you have any money? Do you have any money? Do you have any money? Can oh. I have it? <laughs> To make up for, though, I, I had an Irish coffee for breakfast, yeah. so I feel like... I'm, Someone's got to represent on this yeah, day. No one cheered the alcoholic on stage. Thank you. No, everything's <laughs> fine. Oh, speaking of, I feel like every, both times we've come to Indianapolis, we've kind of like set them up for failure, because the first time, <laughs> they, there was a signature cocktail in the lobby yes. that was essentially a fucking Long Island iced tea with grenadine in it. Yes. But they called it, like, the Murderino or something, so everyone's like, well, I should get it, I'm here. And then, so everyone was just drunk. Fucking hammered. <laughs> hammered. hammered. It was really fun. It was the was best. That, a, was that was really good. Was that a puke in the uh, aisle? Tonight? I think there was, a, there was a puke. The original yeah. puke in the aisle was Portland, but okay. I think there was a puking situation yep. that wasn't as funny as, to me as a person <laughs> crawling up the aisle. I love a, I love a good crawl. <laughs> Get all the way down on the ground. But there was, at the last show, so there was a guy that was really big. It kind of, he, he looked like a football player. And he was in the front row, and I noticed him at first, and he had his arms crossed, and I was just like, what, uh-oh, what's this going to be? Like, <laughs> that's, that's, that's not that common for our show. And then during, while, while we were talking and while we read our stories, I kept seeing this gesture. Like uh oh. Oh, I didn't see. And then see. I was like, "What's fucking happening?" I don't know. And then finally, we get up to do the uh, <laughs> the hometown because I don't wear my glasses on stage. You're all just—it looks like the, all the extras in the Doors movie right now to me. 
You could be cardboard cutouts. I would not know. I can see the shade of the white of your teeth right now. <laughs> so the back row. It's very disturbing. I wish I could put your glasses on so I couldn't yes. see everything. George is like an owl up here. <laughs> so anyway, it turns out this guy's wearing a boa and what he's actually doing is clapping and going, mm, yes, <laughs> yes. And, and oh. I know this because then we met him in the meet and greet. And as he walked up, I was like, I thought you were so mad at us. <laughs> and he was like, girl, no, no, girl. He was, no. Praise be. Oh, my God. So I will always love this city for that citizen alone. <laughs> but then we also, so we had the signature cocktail. This is the signature head move. This is the signature, yeah. And then we did it the, this next show on St. Patrick's Day. So we're like, try not to scream at us, <laughs> motherfucker. <laughs> Everybody parties differently. Yeah. Oh, but, can I tell the story I forgot to tell last night and I'm so mad about? About the airport? What's that? About the airport? About how you left your phone at the airport? No, no. <laughs> yes. I, have a new, I have a new phone. Um, <laughs> that's more of a brag than a story. <laughs> It's a 10. I had a six. I went up four. Anyway. Um, no, I was mad because last, yeah, Carol, I just painted these nails as we walked out the door. Um, yes. Just a little. Um, last night we were in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, at one point, thank you, at one point, <laughs> I made a reference to the television show WKRP in Cincinnati because it's like mine and my sister's favorite, favorite, favorite show growing up. We were obsessed with it to the point where, and I remembered this this morning at breakfast, and I was so angry because one of my favorite childhood memories was this time I got the flu, and <laughs> that night my fever broke, like I was, I was hallucinating. So I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had, as we have talked about at length, um, I had a clock radio that had red digital numbers on it. And uh, so as I woke up, there was this strange red light in my room, and the entire cast of WKRP was standing <laughs> around my bed, silently staring at me very lovingly and Aww. smiling. And I was like, Les, can you get me a glass of water? I was asking them out loud. Jennifer, please, I'm so thirsty. <laughs> Mr. Carlson, can you give me a glass of water? And they didn't respond. They were just like, oh, that's a ghost story yeah. more than anything. They're all living, though. That's a story to get your flu shot, everyone. Yeah, that's to please. And if you leave here tonight with anything, get a fucking... Let uh, it be that. Let it be that. That's a story you don't care about from a city <laughs> you don't live in. You're welcome, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of, this is my favorite murder of the podcast. Oh, yeah, the podcast. This is Karen Kilgara. This is Georgia Hardstart. We're proud, proud to be here with you today. We are. On, Saint, on Karen's official Irish day. Or whatever. No fucking way, no fucking way, no fucking way, no fucking way. I was going to say, you can always tell it's going to be a fun crowd, when, and I'm not fucking trying to make you guys like me. Uh, <laughs> when, when you walk out and they're cheering, and then you grab the mic to say something, and they're like, fuck you, and cheer louder. Yes, it's yes. It's like, okay. That's right. It's All like, right. no, 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 we're not done yet. Yeah, yeah. Hold on. No. Give us it's chance. not your turn. Give us, let us express ourselves, okay. please. Yeah. Yeah. All right. No, you get to. We'll do it. Please it's do. It's all about you. Uh, 
Wait. You do oh. have green on. You do have green That's on. That's not green. Oh, my oh. tattoo? I'm trying, to, I'm trying to get you a pass Oh, thank you. Here. I have a tattoo that's got green in it. Oh, thank you. You know what you need is a, just a little shamrock tattoo on your ankle. Great. <laughs> my mom would love that. There's, there's nothing I love more than when you're fucking like in line at the bank and there's some dude in front of you that's just, in, just your most average bro, but he's just got like a tattoo of like the Notre Dame fighting Irishman. Like, but it's like... But it's like... It's like there on his beefy like calf. There, where you're like, okay, so we know you were drunk, but what else? Like, <laughs> yeah. just just a, just a little regret tattoo of like mm. me and my friends. Well, your friends aren't here anymore, forty-two-year-old. Yeah. It's just you with yeah. a fucking tattoo and shorts on, apparently. Yeah, exactly. And that's not a judgment because I have a tattoo of a salmon on my back for that very reason. <laughs> But I was smart enough to put it somewhere where you can't see it at the uh-huh. bank. That's the key. Unless you're wearing those low, low-rise shorts. When you I love. Do my, sometimes at the bank I like to wear my cutout blouses. Yeah. That's right. Summertime. For some, some summertime. Um, should we really carefully sit down? Yes. Okay. So Vince warned us multiple times backstage to be careful oh, yeah. when we sit down. Oh, yeah. And I don't know. Oh. oh, cool. I didn't know what level of careful, like, is it going to explode? <laughs> is it going to fall over? <laughs> is it going to pinch it's me? It's going to explode. <laughs> it's yeah, gonna, this could be right, bad. Here we go. Okay. Wait. Should we take turns and I'll help you? And you cape, oh, yeah. The cape. The cape. <clears throat> okay, I'm on. I'm on. Okay. You got it. Holy shit. All right. Oh, it's going to be a party tonight. Is that going to get annoying? That looks really annoying. This is what I just imagined was um, someone running by with a fan, and then I get caught in it and choked to death. (laughs) Just a split second. Why is someone running with a fan on the stage? Why? Vince, why did you let the man run with the fan across the stage? I thought we had a meeting about this. <laughs> um, the good thing, we're going to forgive these chairs because there's a fucking Great Dane wandering around backstage. Oh, hell yeah. Named Cooper. Cooper. Uh, Vince, when we got here, he's like, could you guys get Cooper to come back here? And we're like, who's Cooper? He's like, you need to meet him. He's the head of the company. He, he runs the theater. And we're like, what the fuck? I don't want to meet anyone. Okay. And then I hear Vince go, come on, Cooper. And I was like, it's a dog. <laughs> and Cooper runs in and he's just... I was trying to put on makeup really fast. I was just like, get ready for Cooper. Oh. <laughs> Hi. Oh, hi. Hi, Cooper. Hi, Cooper. Good boy. You good boy. Who is a good boy? Um, very tall. <laughs> yeah. Can, uh, can you tell them about this podcast? Oh, shit. <laughs> Ow. It's a, it's a really fun podcast. It's so perfect. Okay, go. Hi, everybody. <laughs> um, this is a... This is a true crime comedy podcast that... Right. Oh, you listen? Um, a lot of... Uh, a lot of... Um, sometimes people who come to these shows like to bring people who don't listen to the podcast to the show. So 
the first time they experience this true crime comedy podcast uh, is here with us live. And so I like to speak directly to those people at the tops of shows sometimes because, you know, there have been times where they've been pastors, they've been rabbis. Um, And they're probably uh, already a little annoyed with us because their friend who brought them won't fucking stop saying, you should listen, I think you'd like it, you should listen. (laughs) Like, shut up, I don't... And they don't get why anything we're talking about is relevant or interesting. But... What I want to address is the fact that uh, sometimes people get offended by the combination of true crime and comedy. They think that's wrong. They think it's bad. Uh, they think they're the only one to fucking put it together that comedy and true crime might not be a great combination. But, uh, yeah, thank you. But we just want to explain to those people that um, we understand that true crime are story, it's basically a genre of media and stories about the very worst thing that could happen to somebody. The very worst thing. Um, so that combined with comedy seems disrespectful or offensive. But actually the comedy runs parallel because we are people who very much enjoy reading about and talking about true crime, but we also, uh, have uh, comedic personalities and always have. It's the way we release pressure. It's, it's how we process horrible things in this world. It's what you and a lot of people do to get by. And so if you, it's not the clapping part. So if you <laughs> find this concept, uh, is offensive or just the fact that two women are talking for an hour is offensive. <laughs> there's a lot of things people get upset about. We cordially and respectfully invite you right now to get the fuck out. Uh Or if you're just really jealous of Karen's amazing cape. Or if you're jealous. Uh Uh-huh. You're jealous of my cape and I'm sorry, get out. God, I want to hear the backstory of that cape so badly. Oh, my God. Well, I'll tell you. Uh I just had a vision. Okay. Great. Uh, The St. Patrick's Day Parade princess wore this cape in 1974. Her mom made it last minute. Aww. Uh, They were both drunk. (laughs) And then there was Highland dancing after. Oh. Wow. Yeah. I bet you're right. Irish psychic. (laughs) (laughs) All right. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. 
There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash murder. And here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. I'm first. You are Georgia. Great. Good to know. Great. Thanks. All right. This is a local story, obviously. It's, that's what we do. That's how we do it, yeah. Um, and it's a rough one, but so many people wrote, have written to us about it. And in fact, we did. it, it was on a mini-sode in 2017 um, that someone wrote in. So I thought it's something that like not everyone knows about, and I hadn't really known much about it either. So let's fucking learn about the Richmond Hill explosion. Controversial. I know. Okay. Noises, noises, noises of all kinds. Okay. So the, on the night of November 10th, 2012, an explosion rocks the Richmond Hill sub- suburban residential neighborhood in Indianapolis, Indiana. More than 200 people are evacuated, about 100 first responders and investigators are at the scene, 86 homes are damaged or destroyed. 86? Uh-huh. Fuck. Dozens are demolished, and the worst part, two innocent people died in the house next door to the explosion. Um, it, the event turns into the most complicated homicide ca- case ever in the state of Indiana. Fucking bananas. All right, let's start with the shitty people. Um... <laughs> Montserrat Shirley is born into a poor family in Puerto Rico. She spends her childhood watching wealthy Americans vacation in her hometown, and she wants to be like them and sets her sights on working in medicine. In 1990, she uh, is accepted to a nursing school in Michigan. So, um, at 25, she meets a manufacturing technician named John Shirley, and they start dating. He supports her through nursing school. They get married. They get a nice house, a little house in Indianapolis, where he is a pharmaceutical company rep at Eli Lilly. Um, Wonderful pills, everybody. <laughs> oh. Hooray for pharmaceuticals. Really? I don't know who fucking started it, but whoever wrote, whoever made the meme, if you can't make your own serotonin, store-bought is fine. <laughs> I'm going to get it tattooed on my meaty calf. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Do it. 
Um, Medicated and motivated, that's my favorite one. <laughs> yes. There's just so many positives to <laughs> medicated. Okay. Um, ba, 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 ba. So, so eventually she uh, becomes a registered nurse at the ICU at the community hospital on the south side of town, and she gives birth to their daughter, Brooke. In 2003, they, she's like bugging him to move into a nicer neighborhood, and they move into Richmond Hill, but John's, of course, worried about the cost. But he lets her build her fucking dream home, which is not how you uh, budget money. <laughs> he got that Eli Lily money, yeah, though, yeah. girl. Like rolling a, around that roller bag. Uh huh. Of course, she goes way over budget, and their mortgage is much higher than they. So they scrape by. They fight all the time. He eventually gives her an ultimatum: him or the house. She chooses the house. Oh Jesus. <laughs> It well, must well, be a nice house. <laughs> wow. Um, they filed for bankruptcy and divorce. As Shit. one does. They right? kind of go hand in hand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she keeps the house, takes over the mortgage, and, the, and keeps custody of their 11-year-old daughter. And, uh, but then in November 2011, four months after her divorce, um, Monserite's friend take her out clubbing at a place called Crazy Town. Is it the best after party there? No. I bet it's not. I thought Crazy Town. In every other city, Crazy Town is the best place to go. No, you have not. to be so fucking drunk to walk into Crazy Town. You have to be like black out so you yeah. don't smell it. That's like the name of a boys band, isn't it? <laughs> crazy Town? Is it Crazy Town? Isn't it? I don't care. Don't care. Yeah. Not in the least. I heard hometown. Is no, it's O Town. Okay. I missed all of that time. Yeah. Okay. She goes to Crazy Town <laughs> looking for fun. I do that all the time. <laughs> um, and she attracts the eye of a dude across the room. His mm. name is Mark Leonard. Boo. And he makes it no secret. He's got a wad of cash on him, which is really germaphobe. I'm a germaphobe, and that's just disgusting. Girl, like, that's, a- that's, first of all, mm, now I'm doing the other one. <laughs> if it's the hand is lower, that's bad. Oh, it's, if it's up, it's great. Yeah. Don't be, don't judge wads of cash. Yeah. They Put that wad of cash things. in savings. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll comp, the interest will compound. Get a 401k. <laughs> Exactly. Don't take your money to crazy town. Yeah. That's what Georgia always tells me. And then that move of like, oh, I got your drink. Great. Hand them a credit card. Don't ha- like get your wad of cash. Ugh. Red, green flag. It's a green flag for me. Oh, it is a green flag. I love money. <laughs> um, and he has a Hummer parked outside. So she's oh, like, wait a second. Swoon. It's all canceled. 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 <laughs> But it was 2012. Remember when everyone was like, no, no, that, that was earlier. Okay. <laughs> but they, it's, it's always so, gross. The funniest thing in the world was when people, of course, in Los Angeles, probably had them first. Uh, <laughs> people driving around in Hummers in Los Angeles is one of the yeah. funniest things. Because you can't get anywhere. There's a thousand cars. And then here comes fucking military-grade vehicle coming down <laughs> Sunset Boulevard. We're just like, fuck you yeah. and your tiny dick. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. That's sexist. That's sexist, actually. That's sexism. And you guys applauded it. Mm-hmm. And we're going to cancel you on social media. <laughs> we're closing this club down. Okay. 
What were we talking about? It's up and it's down. Oh, it's oh, up oh, and what's it's happening? down. All right. They hit it off. They're fucking assholes. They go home together. Okay. In a Hummer. In a Hummer. Okay. Together. Great. With a wad of cash sitting shotgun. <laughs> with the seatbelt on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, one night turns into three. We've all had those dates. Yes. They're amazing. 24-hour dates. I, Fuck. You know what? I officially apologize to the Hummer guy. <laughs> <laughs> I was wrong. Yeah. I didn't have one of those on mine and Vince's first date because I didn't want to seem like a slut, but really, I really just wanted to sleep with him. So. <laughs> Why didn't I just do it? And, <laughs> I not, like the idea that you don't want to seem like a slut to the guy you want to fuck. What a, <laughs> what a fucked up culture we would yeah. have to be in. Meow, meow, meow. And knowing Vince now, he would have been like, great, yes. let's fuck. He doesn't yeah. care. Um... All right. Now you know. Now I know. Slut it up. Yes. You don't, here's the thing. You don't have to buy, you don't have to buy the book, The Rules. You don't have to like neg people or, no, or try slut to trick shaming. them. No slut shaming. Literally at around, I would say 115 at a bar, <laughs> pick the one you want and make eye contact and go, I will fuck you. <laughs> Bring your own condoms. You don't need to think, do you have a condom? Bring your fucking condom. Let's get it done, pal. <laughs> Stuff like that. They love it. They love it. <laughs> That's been our advice corner <laughs> to you. From what I can remember from the 90s, they love it. <laughs> All right. They go home. One day turns into three. Um, things happen alike, for example. For example. Like, here's, George is going to give us a couple examples. I'll tell you what. Mark moves in with her a few weeks later. Okay. With her and her 11-year-old daughter. Mm. Green flag. Red, red, red. Yes. Don't let strange men move into your house no. with your daughter. No. Okay. Mark Leonard, let's hear about this idiot. He's born in Indianapolis in 1969. He eventually, <laughs> I put that word in, works as an exotic dancer. Not right away. Not in <laughs> 1969. <laughs> no. Not a baby stripper. Mark Leonard is born in 1969, and he becomes a stripper. It's like way later. Good. Great. Probably mid-80s, early 90s? You gotta hope. I would hope. He makes wads of cash and retires in his 40s and becomes a roofer and a mechanic and a general contractor and a general dick. Uh, Can I just say, yeah. I wonder if that's what he stripped as. Like, oh, wouldn't that be yeah. funny if he was like, I'm the mechanic or whatever, and then it's like, whoa. Or, like, if, you, if you're a male stripper, you have to become the thing you strip as. Like, so it's like, <laughs> I was a stripper, but now I actually am a fireman and or a cop. <laughs> and how about retiring? you got to think that life as a male exotic dancer is hard. If you retire to become a, like, day laborer, like, to have yeah. a really fucking hands-on crazy job. Look, we, we all suffer by the beauty standards that this culture puts on us. We, Women more, but yeah. still, everybody does. We've seen suffer. Magic Mike. We know. <laughs> we know what those poor, poor strippers went through. By the way, if you get a chance to go to Las Vegas and go to the Magic Mike Strip Show, I am not kidding. It is worth every dollar you will spend. You won't believe your eyes. <laughs> and I'm uh, not saying that, like, there's not a, it's not a Chippendale situation. I'm not just being like, ugh, bachelorette part. It's not that. It's high art. It's okay? ballet. It's gorgeous, beautiful, an accomplishment. Thank you, Channing Tatum. We don't say it enough. Thank you, Channing Tatum. Okay. A lot of this. Oh. 
oh, me and my boa in the front row, just like, oh. <laughs> okay. So he makes a comfortable salary, but he likes to gamble, as we all do. Um, he becomes buffalo. <laughs> he becomes a regular at the surrounding casinos. Likes to be, a, be call, he likes to be called a big spender. It says, "All right, <laughs> that means you're not." It's like making up your own nickname. It's not your nickname. <laughs> you're not a big spender. Who would you? you I like ask someone to call you hey, that. Hey, call me a big spender. <laughs> Excuse me, waiter. Um, can we have more breadsticks and call me big spender? <laughs> big spender. Can we get some more breadsticks, please? <laughs> or free breadsticks, please? I'm the big spender. Um, but uh, he becomes a regular at casinos. He buys nice cars on motorcycles and burns through thousands and thousands of dollars quickly. Um, and then he meets Monserit and uh, she falls hard for him. And as you know that... Um, he lives big and lives like the rich tourist from her childhood. So there's like something in her that's like, oh, this is what success is. It's what she always wanted. Yeah. It's like her, it was her long-term goal. Right. Yeah. Um, and so he grows close with her daughter and they become a family. And so every, but then everything changes around 11 p.m. on November 10th, 2012, when a massive explosion destroys over a hundred homes in Richmond Hill. Some think it's the end of the fucking world, ash is coming down like snow, and more than 500 calls to 911 are made within minutes. And so I was looking through our hometowns that got sent into our email, and um, Danielle M. wrote, at 11.10, she was in the area, at 11.10, the loudest sound I have ever heard hit me. It penetrated my eardrums, rattled my brain, and pulled the air from my lungs, while simultaneously lifting me off the couch. What the fuck? The front door that was deadbolted busted off its hinges, and almost every window shattered throughout my house. And she's just in the neighborhood. Fuck. My first thought was that someone put a pipe bomb on our front porch, and I thought, who the fuck did we piss off to the point that they wanted to <laughs> blow the f- us the fuck up? Danielle. Danielle. Get off that couch. Stop pissing people off. <laughs> <laughs> so houses collapse, residents run in to pull out their neighbors from, it's like, you know, everyone's trying to help each other. Firefighters fight the flames throughout the night and risk their lives to evacuate people from their homes. In the end, there are two fatalities, the next-door neighbors to the house that exploded, John Dion Longworth and his wife, Jennifer. Um, Dion worked with electronics, and Jennifer was a teacher. Mm-hmm. They were in their 30s, and they were just thinking about starting a family at the oh. time. I know, it's cool. fucking heartbreaking. Twelve other residents are injured but survive, um, and ten feet south of the explosion uh, had collapsed on itself. So I just have a couple pictures. I'm not going to get fucking graphic or anything. But so this is the these are the two houses, um, one of them that blew up, and then that's oh my fucking god! I know it's fucking insane. And so the one of one house in my neighborhood when I grew up blew up, so, and I, I was like four years old, and I could still take you to the fucking house that it happened, and I remember exactly what happened. Yeah. And it's just to imagine, and it was just one house. Like, this just seems like it would be stuck with you forever. It's but insane. also, you know, when you see, like, because um, a similar thing happened in um, Millbrae, California, which is where a lot of my cousins uh, live, and it's in South uh, South Bay in San Francisco, and it was a gas line basically blew up, and, like, yeah. a, a, a block of, ga- of gas line exploded. That happened recently in Boston, too, I think. Right? Yeah, it yeah. did. But that is, those houses are decimated. Yeah. There's just nothing. 
It's insane. Fuck. So within hours of the uh, explosion, fire investigator Mario Garza and police detective Jeff Wagner, they find themselves assigned to one of the largest, most chaotic incidents um, in the history of Indianapolis. They uh, analyze the blast pattern the next day and find the house at the epicenter of the explosion belonged to Montserrat. Um, and uh, right next to the, the Longworth's house, neighbors informed police that the couple had left the day before on a weekend getaway. Investigators initially suspect a possible plane crash because the Greenwood Municipal Airport is located nearby, but there aren't any plane parts in the wreckage. And there are also theories about it being a meth lab, but that's quickly uh, ruled out. So experts soon find out that natural gas is the cause because of the, so the way some of the houses are completely leveled, which I guess only natural gas can do. When Shirley, when Montserrat Shirley and Mark Leonard are notified of the incidents, they say, yeah, we were gambling at a casino out of town. We left our, my daughter with her friends for the weekend. Um, and the gas company officials try to determine if it was caused by a leak, the city pikes, but they're not finding anything wrong. But then they find something that leads them to believe foul play. A piece of safety equipment. And can you fucking believe how good these people are that they were able to find in that? A piece of safety equipment that keeps gas from leaking into the house was removed from Montserrat Shirley's home. How do they fucking... It's amazing. Yeah, they know. And replaced, they know. Yeah. And replaced with a straight piece of pipe. And the gas line to the fireplace is also missing a regulator. Isn't that insane yeah. that they, like, they combed it, the, the dude, the, um, fire investigator had everyone comb in the most insane way and sift through debris just to make sure it wasn't there for days and they wow. never found it. Um, the tampered gas valve caused the house to fill up with deadly gas almost eight times the pressure it normally would. But in order to have an explosion, there has to be an ignition source. So they find an origin in the kitchen. There's a twisted metal canister in the microwave, which acted as a possible detonator. And so the arsonist could set the time on the microwave and have it all at one spark. Okay. That's all it took. Can I sidebar this? Yeah. Always. My sister and I had a party in high school. (laughs) Great. We need that. We need a minute. Great. (laughs) My sister, my parents, when I was in high school, all of a sudden my parents just went on a cruise like every month. I don't know what the fuck was going on. They were going to, yeah. They, they were doubling down on their love. Yeah. I don't know. They just really needed to be together and way the fuck far away from us all the time. So they were on a cruise and we were home by ourselves. So we had a party um, and our, we went to a smaller high school in our town. Um, but of course, our old next door neighbor, Andy, Andy Withington, uh, who was Mr. Party Pants and went to Petaluma High, um, he... My sister invited him, and then he invited 45 other people. Jesus. So it turned into, our house turned into like it, like an 80s movie high school party where things were going fucking nuts. Mm-hmm. And at one point, uh, and we had just moved into this house too. <laughs> my, parents, my parents had it built. Oh. It was like to their specifications that my dad and my uncle Mike and my uncle John built this fucking Aww. house. It was kind of a big deal. And it was just like, there were just people, there were strange teens oh, everywhere. Nightmare. Yeah. Strange at, teens. Yeah, yeah, strange teens, the worst. And at first we're all just trying to be like, huh, Coors Light, it's cool. This is, 
great. And then I see some kid I've never seen before pick up a can of beer, put it in the microwave, and hit five minutes and walk away. And I walk up to the microwave, I I hit stop, I look at Steve Moritz, this guy in my class, and I go, get them out of here now. And then Steve Moritz starts yelling at all these people like, you guys gotta go. And meanwhile, my sister was upstairs calling 911. She called the fucking Petaluma cops on our party. Did they come? Oh, yeah. And then all the people we didn't know left, and then there was like 25 of us, and we're like, now we can really fucking get drunk. Just leave the microwave alone. Especially back then. insane. Yes. It was just like some asshole drunk kid who was just like, yeah, fuck you guys in five minutes. Oh. So anyway. Oh. Thanks for letting me share. (laughs) My heart. That's so scary. Um, bu- 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 okay, bu- bu- bu. and then, um, so detectives question the homeowners again, and Monsterite, uh says that when they left the casino, they hadn't, for the casino, they hadn't noticed anything ordinary, we swear, out of the ordinary. In they, the microwave. <laughs> yeah. They, de- don't, they deny any involvement, and they look at the um, casino surveillance, and they do show, it does show them there, but it shows them being really squirrely, and they gamble for five minutes and then just sit there fucking mething out staring around like oh. waiting for a call time, time to pass yeah okay um, and they also realize when they come through the scene again there's no furniture sign of furniture electronics or family photos in the house in the house everything had been fucking cleared out mm. and there's no valuables in the, at the time of the explosion and uh, a forensic analysis of uh, Montserrat's finances showed that she had increased the insurance coverage on items inside her home uh, that year before the explosion and raised the value of the property up to $300,000. Okay. Nothing in my house is worth $300,000. <laughs> We're going to put that on our list of suspicious things. Yes, we are. Yeah. Ex- including the fact that she claimed to own rare pieces like uh, art, like Picasso. Sure. But didn't have the receipts for them. No. As you do. You know what it is? Is because I bought the Picasso, then I went to CVS. I got those two receipts all mixed up. I just threw them away. Sorry. She said, receipt in the bag? And I said, yeah. Yeah. In the bag with the Picasso? Or (laughs) do you want me to email it to you? Right. You know what? Just throw it in there with the insanely valuable painting that no one can touch, actually, in real life. And isn't... I mean, okay. Uh, and then they're like, we, we, it's normal. We dropped our daughter off there. It's also totally normal that that weekend we were boarding the cat at the groomers. Mm. They even cleared out their fucking cat, but they had no fucking, no sympathy or like care for their neighbors. Human beings, yeah. Look, I love cats. I fucking get it. Yes. But like, come There's on. There's a couple now. people in the audience that are like, um, what's the problem with getting the cat out of there? <laughs> I'm not saying leave the cat, obviously. Oh, well, you can't say I'm saying cat. don't blow up the fucking... Because if you said leave the cat, I'd never listen to the podcast again. <laughs> and I start sweating and crying. <laughs> okay, so... Bah, bah, bah. Okay. So a friend of Mark then comes forward to police, and he's like, yo, dude, uh, a week ago... Mark told me that his house, that Mark told him that his house blew up and he was going to collect insurance on it and buy a new Ferrari. And so his friend was like, that's weird. I'm going to go tell someone. Great. Good call. Good call. Good call. And on, go. Sorry, just in so many. I mean, what, yeah. we've ta- I think we've probably told close to 400 of these stories now. Mm-hmm. And I would say 395 
the people tell on themselves. I don't, I'm, I don't want to educate criminals or make them better. It seems like you can't really. But how about just shut up for two weeks? That, could you? It's like there's some connection between fucking idiots who will do shit like assholes who will do shit like that and people who can't keep their fucking mouths shut. And, and people who would pre-brag about yeah. blowing their own house up. And then think that all their friends would be like, great, and like not be concerned about yeah, it. Yeah, not be like, excuse me, what did you say? Yeah, I'm not okay with that. It's a stripper that turns the music down. Sorry, what did you just say? <laughs> Or it's their fucking dealer at the at the casino, yeah. and he's like, why, "Why are you telling me this?" Good luck, players. What did you just say? <laughs> okay, um, okay. And on the Friday before the explosion, Mark Leonard, and this is what our friend um, Danielle M called him, and his big bug-eyed brother Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Danielle. Danielle went for it. Went for it. <laughs> So Mark Leonard's big bug-eyed brother, Bob, spoke with a neighbor who was a Citizens Energy employee. I don't know. What uh, now I'm just picturing Marty Feldman's eyes. <laughs> you know, Igor from Young Frankenstein. Yes. <laughs> um, I think that's close. Do you want to see them? They get arrested. The Spoiler eyes? alert. There we go. <laughs> she wasn't... Oh. Look at her crying. Look at her fucking highlights. <laughs> Look at them. <laughs> you're right, I should get highlights. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. I hear, I hear the message. They're like, I, okay. I mean, those guys just look like, you know, it's like, oh, some people got a bad idea and then they just didn't stop having that bad idea. <laughs> this guy looks like he's from a fucking Bond movie. That's like... <laughs> That's some Blofeld shit happening over there. Yeah. I'm scared of to be near his picture. That guy, when his brother was like, hey, I have a nefarious thing to do, he was like, great, I'm in. He yes. like, didn't care. He throws down his hot dog and turns off the TV immediately. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why, why he's hot dog. Is that last? Hold on. Last. Yes. Okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So citizen energy employee uh, Bob asked about the difference between propane and natural gas and what would happen if a house filled up with natural gas. And on the day of the explosion, another neighbor sees a white van pull in the driveway of Monsterite's house around two or three and just takes all their um, photos and financial documents out of the house and loads them into the van. Because God forbid their fucking photos would explode. I hate them. Okay, so... Meanwhile, that's, that's the other thing people don't seem to think about, is that you have neighbors, and they're bored. And nosy. Oh, like, yeah. Anytime I hear one thing, I'm right... I have this weird little window in my front where I have to stand on my toes to look out of it. So if you were outside doing something, you looked over, it'd just be like this. Be like, <laughs> me and my crazy eyes staring at you as you did some weird thing. Unfortunately, my next door neighbor listens to the podcast, so I can't say anything about what her <laughs> family does. <laughs> no, she's really lovely. Her kids are really fucking loud, though. Yeah. Yeah. Consider this a warning. They're teenager, Like, they're preteens. And one time... <laughs> Stephen, you're marking this, and then we're going to talk about it later. Oh, yeah. We were having a... We were having a hangout party for like a boxing thing. One of the a boxing. Vince, I, no, we weren't having a boxing thing. There was a boxing <laughs> match going on, and I don't know any details. So Vince was 
so showing it. Was a it. Thing. it was yeah. a thing. We had yeah. friends over. Um, some of them, some of the, listen, pot is legal in California. <laughs> some of them like to smoke it. And so the house was filled with smoke. And then I hear a knock at the door, which is always the most terrifying oh thing. Oh my God. And I open it and these two like 12, 13 year old skater boys from next door are like, Hey, we can smell pot. Can we have some? And I just like slowly, I said, are you guys cops? <laughs> they didn't, they didn't get it. I was really funny. Fucking idiots. <laughs> and then I said, no, and just closed the door. And then it was like, Vince, Vince, <laughs> Vince, the cops are here and they're really young. <gasps> There's a 21 Jump Street situation happening. You're too high. I can't Why are people hitting each other? <laughs> okay, we definitely cut all that, yeah, Stephen. Cut, cut it all. Okay. This is, this is tonight only. This is Indianapolis only. <laughs> Keep it in the vault. Don't go fucking onto the, on the fan forums telling the neighbor what everything Georgia said about her. <laughs> she is lovely. Everyone knows teenagers suck. Okay. <laughs> okay, so... Six weeks after, okay, da, 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 okay, okay. They find evidence that the couple had taken steps to board the cat, drop Brooke off at the babysitters, and leave town because to the casino twice previous uh, previous attempts to do the same fucking thing. So this is a third attempt, and it oh. finally worked. Police also discover that Mark Leonard is being sued civilly by multiple women who accuse him of scamming them out of money through online dating sites. Don't trust anyone until you've known them four years, I'd say. <laughs> Right. Wait, so is that how he got that big wad of money? Those poor ladies? Yeah, probably. <laughs> and the roofing. I don't know. <laughs> that is good money, actually. It's really good <laughs> money. But you have to know the skill. You have to have skills. <laughs> um, and he'd previously been accused of insurance fraud uh, before. So he's just a fucking fraudster. Yes. Six weeks after the deaths of Dion and Jennifer Longworth, investigators arrest Monstery Shirley, Mark Leonard, and his brother, Bob Leonard. And they're all charged with insurance fraud and two counts of murder. In 2013, Mark's, Mark in jail, hey, he's hanging out in jail, already in big trouble, asks a jailhouse informant for a hitman connection. Because <laughs> he is smart. <laughs> he wants to kill an important witness against him. He ends up calling an undercover agent and asking him to make it look like a suicide. And the undercover agent's like, yeah, I could totally do that. Sure, that's not a problem. Um, and so he's additionally charged with conspiracy to commit murder. I, I, I love that even his jailhouse informant was like, this guy sucks. He's carrying around a wad of newspaper and saying, <laughs> call me Big Spender. <laughs> I feel like when you're in jail... You should know, and again, please don't tell the criminals I said this, but you should know that everyone around you is a jailhouse informant. Yeah. Like, it's not like, every time you, we hear that in the story, I go, how did the cops, why are they so smart that they knew to put someone in there? It's like, no, no, it's just a dude going, oh, did you just give me something that could shave a couple years yeah. off my yeah. hellish existence in this place? Yeah, let's do it. How fucking stupid. Yep. Yes. Okay. It's just this cocky, like, narcissism that you think you're somehow going to trick people. Yeah, you're smarter than everybody. Exactly. So prosecutors spend two years building their case. They have 175 witnesses, six weeks of testimony, and 3,000 pieces of evidence. And they initially try to seek, uh, try to 
to try the suspects together, but they're, um, they're, the judge is, the whole time the judge is like, fuck you guys. Like he hates these fucking people clearly. And he kept being like, nope, nope, nope. Um, so the trials then start in 2015. Before Mark's trial, prosecutors offer to drop the murder charges against Montserrat in exchange for her testimony against Mark. And she pleads guilty to two counts of conspiracy to commit arson to receive a lesser sentence. And she insists that the plan was Mark's idea from the beginning. They'd only been together a few weeks when he encouraged her to increase her insurance policy. Policy, She says she didn't want to go through with it, but he eventually wore her down and she did it out of love for him, which is not a fucking excuse. No, don't bomb anybody out of love for anybody else. <laughs> it should be in the Bible, but since they didn't yeah. put it in there, I guess we'll try to spread it around. Uh, the best way to, um, to show your love for someone is to say, I love you. Yeah. That's it. Maybe bring them some coffee when yeah. they don't expect it. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a bomb situation. No. Um, they use her testimony to show that he was willing to do anything for the money, and uh, he, she's a compelling witness. She's emotional and distraught. And uh, on August 12, 2015, it takes the jury four hours to return their verdict, guilty on every single count. Yeah. Mark is sentenced to two consecutive terms without life of life without parole, plus an additional 75 years on 53 counts, including murder, arson, and insurance fraud. Seven months later, on March 18th, 2016, his big-eyed brother, Bob, <laughs> receives Danielle. a sentence of life without parole. And... Uh, th there's all these other people who are part of it. Gary Thompson uh, is sentenced to 20 years, Glenn Holtz, who knew about the scheme and kept uh, the daughter at their house, is sentenced to three years in prison. Shit. And Montserrat is sentenced from 50, uh, sentenced to 50 years in prison. She could get out in 2037 at the earliest. In her sentencing order, the judge emphasizes that she could have stopped the plan at any time, oh. but didn't. On top of the 4.5 million in damages, at least half a dozen marriages in the Richmond Hill neighborhood ended in divorce in the years immediately following the blast. I wouldn't blame the blast. <laughs> That's, come on. I wonder, a lot of people were just like, oh my God, that, that like, anything could happen at any moment. Yes. I need to go live my life. I, I get, and then they, they look over at their spouse and they're like, I gotta get out of here. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Um, and more than one-third of the families who lived in the neighborhood on the night of the blast have since moved away for good. Good fucking bright, shiny horizon. Mark Leonard died of natural causes on <laughs> Tuesday, January 30th in 2018 at the Indianapolis Hospital. He was 48 years old. Natural causes at 48? Syphilis. <laughs> right? He might, actually, he might have had Hummer's disease. <laughs> That water cash just <laughs> fucked up. All right. <laughs> the water cash fucked up his hip. <laughs> um, a house has not been built where the Longworth's house uh, once stood, but a, a pear tree planted by Dion Longworth still grows in the yard where he and his wife Jennifer's house once stood. Wow. And that is the fucking bananas Richmond Hill explosion. Wow. Thank you. Blown away. That was sorry. That I, <laughs> shit. <laughs> you know I don't like that kind of comedy, but that was amazing. Thank you. Yeah, it's not insane. Also, because it's like 
It's like the 24-hour news cycle where you're like, no, I, th- I remember this, yeah. but it might be a different explosion. Like you hear this thing and then you just don't hear the, le- the aftermath of yes, it. Yes, exactly. It's not local, it's local news. Yeah. So. You got to yeah. dig. Yeah. You got to care. <laughs> okay. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant? Like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. I, when looking for um, a true crime story from Indianapolis, Googled uh, Indianapolis true crime story. (laughs) That's where you start. (laughs) Right. But usually that's the beginning. And then you spend all this time putting in like bizarre or historical. You're just trying to get something like interesting. That's a good story to tell. This was the first article I clicked on. Wow. And it's the murder of heiress Marjorie Jackson. Is her name heiress or is she an heiress? (laughs) (laughs) Heiress Marjorie Jackson. Marie. Harris. Um, I got it. Harris. Now I know. Uh... I, okay, so this article that I found was written by Tim Evans of the Indianapolis Star, and it was from 2015. He, and they put together this uh, story because it was the 40th anniversary of the crime. Um, and in it, he quotes a book about the case that was written by Pulitzer Prize-winning Indianapolis Star reporter and editor Dick Cady. Um, and it, that book is called Scavengers, A True Story of Money, Madness, and Murder. Um, and I want to read title. it really bad. <laughs> I need so much more. Um, okay. So we are talking about Marjorie Jackson. Oh, my yep. God. That, that hat was in the vintage shop this morning. <laughs> I know, for real. Many, uh, this might be her cape. <laughs> so oh, she looks like my grandma. Marjorie O'Connell is how she um, grew up. She comes from what Dick Cady refers to as a, quote, hard scrabble background. Oh. Right? Hard scrabble. Um, so she wasn't good at Scrabble. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you're not into that kind of comedy. Come on. Now 
I hate comedy. Okay, but all that changes the day that Chester Jackson walks into Murphy's Five and Dime in downtown Indianapolis, where Marjorie is working. They hit it off, and um, soon Marjorie, Hardscrabble Marjorie, discovers Chester Jackson is fucking loaded. Okay, so it turns out Chester's father was Lafayette Andrew Jackson. Um, he started the standard grocery business. He mm. opened the first Kroger in Ohio. Oh my God. Money, 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 money. Money. So, who would have thunk that fucking supermarkets was like big money? Yeah, supermarkets. Dude. Supermarkets in the twenty, the tens, twenties, and thirties. I mean, it's so, in the name, supermarket. Oh yeah, it it's is still super. <laughs> That's crazy. Crazy money. Okay, so here's how it went. Chester's father started the standard... So he basically opened Cro- the first Kroger's in Ohio. Then he, he, he basically sold the chain and bought the standard grocery um, business or whatever. He just kept kind of like... Uh, buying up and buying out, mm-hmm. making a ton of money, and then buying buying out places. Um, he actually sold the AMP. He was the owner of the AMP grocery store chain, and he sold that, and then it like immediately went out of business. Wow. Like he was just a very uh, astute business person. Um, yeah, let's give him some props. Um, <laughs> yeah, but. He is shot and killed in a robbery in one of the grocery stores that he owns. So in 1931, Chester takes over the family business. So he manages very well, but it's basically like he has a ton of money. Then he makes more money on that money. Sure. And we know how that goes in today's America. Uh Um, And so when he sells the entire chain, American Grocery, in 1947, he makes, of course, millions and millions and millions of dollars. Mm. Um, And this is around the time when he walks into that five and dime and meets Marjorie, just like a terrible John Mellencamp song. Um, (laughs) uh, Problem is, good old Chester Jackson's married. Uh Uh-oh. and so Marjorie's like, that's fine. Um, and <laughs> they carry on what is referred to as a not-so-secret affair for years, which I would love, and when I read the book, I will then know the details of that not-so-secret affair. You but touch her ankle in public or yeah. something? <laughs> on the bus. Oh, my God. Um, so I'm sure it was just he was like a super rich guy that could do whatever the fuck he wanted. So, right. And his wife is like, fine, I'll stay home and take pills and look out the window. <laughs> it's not a bad life. It's not a bad... It's not. She you can found- s- smoke indoors. Cats love gin. that life. Yes. There's many cats. You here. get some really like high-grade cats. <laughs> and you, you just get your decanter yeah. of gin, put on your stories. You're fine. <laughs> okay. Now, miraculously, in 1952, Chester actually does the thing all men say they're going to do, and he divorces his wife and marries Marjorie. Um, It's a second marriage for both of them. Um, So it was the real thing. Look, stop judging their love, (laughs) as sinful as it might be. In 1954, they move into a very fancy house, an expensive at the time house, on Spring Mill Road in Indianapolis. You live there? It's the best road here. <laughs> oh, you should see how gorgeous the asphalt is. <laughs> so, they never have children. Um, uh, but that doesn't matter because they have so much money that they treat their money like children. <laughs> All the money gets their own room. <laughs> they ignore it? No. <laughs> 
Go out and play. Okay, so here's the thing, though. Back in the day, grocery stores used to be cash-only businesses because, of course, credit cards either didn't exist or were very rarely uh, used, mm -hmm. and you could not write a check usually at a grocery store unless people knew you personally. So mm. there was rarely checks. So it was a cash business. So essentially, Chester, and I'm sure his dear old dad, Andrew Jackson, um, they basically would take home the money from the grocery stores and hide it in their house. Millions of dollars. Fuck. They would stash it. So because he also he didn't want to pay taxes on it. Of course he didn't. Nobody wants to wants to pay taxes on I their mean, money. We fucking yeah. do it. Yeah, you just have to do it. But he, but of course he doesn't think he has to. Hi. So he is. Their entire house is just filled with money, with cash Jesus. everywhere. It's also in safety deposit boxes and banks around town and in. So, but for the most part, he's he's got their house is filled with cash. It's a fire hazard because of cash. Um, <laughs> Oh my God. So then in 1970, Chester dies and he leaves 60 oh. year old Marjorie with a $14 million fortune. Fuck. So Marjorie uh, is, I don't know if she already had been with the details will come in Scavengers by Dick Cady, but <laughs> um, she becomes a bit of a kooky recluse. As, you, you? as, as one would want. How yes. Fun. She's now, now it's my time for pills and gin. She's like, <laughs> let's do this. She rarely leaves the house. Yay. What for? She, <laughs> she talks to birds and squirrels. <laughs> okay. Yes. I mean, I've done that. I mean, they're fun to talk to. They are. Cause they keep it zipped. <laughs> Wait, is that a problem to talk, talking of squirrels? It's absolutely not. Okay. As long as it doesn't get in the newspaper. Okay. As long as you're not talking to it like it's a normal conversation. Yeah. If, are you hearing anything back from the squirrel? No. And oh, then you're fine. Okay, great. Yeah. If you hear the squirrel talk back, tell a friend. <laughs> she shouts racial epithets. Mm, now there's when I yeah. stop. We knew we were going to run into something. Yeah. It's 1978, six. So she also tells people, uh, the people she does see and talk to, who are hearing her yell bad words and talk to squirrels, she also tells them she's growing money out of the ground. Oh, no. Uh -huh. How old is she, 42 or something? Uh, no, she's just, well, now she's 66, I believe. Okay. That's easy. a good age to go fucking batch Just it. lose it. Yeah. Definitely stop, stop dyeing your roots. Yeah, you're kind of still hot yeah. still. But you could be like, I'm just going to put one eyelash on today. <laughs> like, you could just do that kind of shit. Yeah, that's when it gets, your vision's very poor. You're not putting on glasses to put on lipstick. You're like, I know where my mouth is. <laughs> Get away. Just really long chin hairs. Oh, yeah. So, in 1976, Marjorie learns that an employee at the bank where she has, she took her money and she put about $9 million of it in the bank, they say. Um, but then she learns that an employee at the bank where she made that deposit, whose name was Herbert D. Biddle, which yeah. sounds, if that was in a script, I'd be like, I think we should change this. It's not, <laughs> it's, it's kind of goofy. Yeah. Um, but this is real. Um, he embezzled $700,000 from her. Wow. Out of her account. Probably in front of her. Yeah. Because <laughs> she was like, the squirrel told me I should come in and look at my money today. And he was like, that's right, Marjorie. Yes. <laughs> sign this and sign this. Oy vey. Um, no, stole it behind her back. 
He's caught, he serves 10 years for embezzlement. She goes from kooky recluse to full-on lunatic millionaire. Oh. So what she does is she, spend the, she spends the next few months pulling all the money out of all of her bank accounts across town. There was multiple. Um, so between January and May of 1976, Marjorie cashes out her entire fortune, which is, oh, so sorry, it was 11 million total? Yeah. Uh, it's more than that. It's 14. Um, but she takes um, 9 million out of the Indiana National Bank. Oy. It's now Chase. Sorry. <laughs> um, we're all just, it's all going to become just Chase. Like, we're like, do you want to get fast food or go to the bank or go to the grocery store or go to the hospital? Well, let's go to Chase. <laughs> There's a really good show on Chase tonight. <laughs> okay. Stop being negative, Karen. <laughs> um, she takes nine million out of the Indiana National Bank and an estimated additional two million from other bank accounts. So what she'd do is she'd show up at the bank no. with a suitcase. Yes, she'd ask for a million dollars in hundred dollar bills. Fuck. And then she'd go walk out of the out of the bank with the suitcase, like real side to side for no reason. <laughs> Beautiful vintage suitcase. <laughs> yes, with flowers on it. Um, then she'd go home and hide the cash in closets, toolboxes, vacuum cleaner bags, garbage cans, no. other spots around her house. What? And she would squirrel it away. Oh. The squirrels told me. The that. squirrels told me to put this here. And she always had a bunch of cashews in her cheek. <laughs> Anyhow, everybody. Okay, so of course, word spreads around town. Sure. You know, Herbert D. Biddle from the jail was like, guys, listen, you're fools if you don't get up to that house on Spring Hill Road. I got Road. a tip for you from jail. <laughs> it's me, Herbert D. Biddle. <laughs> I'm bald and I have round glasses. You can see me in your head right now because my name is Herbert D. Biddle. Pocket watch, vest. <sighs> Word spreads through town that Marjorie has millions of dollars hidden in her home, which is, you have to think about, that's like, if you want to look at, you know, there's a, there's a house in Los Angeles, they just call it the murder house, where uh, a dad tried to kill his whole family one night. And the, Los the house murder mansion. The, the, yeah. the Los Feliz murder mansion. And yeah, they, um, the, the rumor was that it was all closed up and you could still see the Christmas tree and the Christmas presents or whatever, but that was like, mm -hmm. that's kind of not really the truth. But it, everybody goes and looks at it because you're just like, holy shit. Imagine if you found out that there was just like a crazy old lady in a house full of cash. Yeah. Like, it's such a security issue. I mean, that's why people don't keep cash in their house. No, nor should they. No, they shouldn't. Or in their vacuum cleaner bag. Guys, get a savings account, you know, get a high-yield savings account, put your money in there, let it increase over time. Because Here, Chase goodbye. Bank cares about you. <laughs> Chase. Chase Bank. Promo code murder. <laughs> And that's how you get now, people to stop now listening like to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> podcast references get podcast work. Okay. <laughs> Millions of dollars in cash, in $100 bills, in a house with a crazy lady. Great. So on May 2nd, 1977, two 19-year-olds named Walter Bergen Jr. Mm. and Douglas Howard Green break into Marjorie's house. They steal diamond necklaces, watches, a pearl necklace, diamond rings, and then... 
In going through one of Marjorie's closets, they find $817,000 in $100 bills, so they take that too. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do. Holy shit. Yes. Yeah. Which in today's money. Oh my God. That's easily uh-huh. $2.7 million. Yeah. Why didn't I today's money that? I don't know. I'm sorry. I was no. procrastinating. <laughs> It's a ton. It's over double. Let's just say that and agree to it and move on. And why don't you have another beer and stop checking my math? Oh. Oh. Oh, someone's defensive. Okay. Marjorie doesn't report the crime. When the police ask her about it, she says the teenagers are lying. Mind your own business. Wow. That is ballsy as fuck. Hero, 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 except for the racism part. (laughs) I love it so much. Like, um, but of course, Bergen and Green brag about the robbery all over town. Shut up. So the police go to Marjorie's house with an um, attorney who works for the prosecutor's office named Tommy Thompson. Yep. Who is, who is actually the one who tackled Harold D. Biddle, Herbert D. Biddle. Shit, forget uh. it. Forget <laughs> it. Cancel that joke. And they go to Marjorie's house to say, we know these guys did it. We've caught them bragging about it. We need you to press charges. Um, it was one of the coldest days of the year. Marjorie met them at the end of the driveway in her nightgown holding Ooh. a gun. Ooh. Ooh. It was a toy gun, but they didn't know that. Oh. And she told them to get off her property. Oh. They didn't shoot her dead because she's white. (laughs) (laughs) They left. They left. Bergen and Green were later caught and arrested for the the robbery and for being stupid. Okay. (laughs) So despite Marjorie's threats and reclusiveness, um... It happens again, uh, of course. It's like, yeah, yes. This is this entire story is like a prequel to Fargo. There's so <laughs> many parallels and characters, all of it. It's insanity. So on May second, 1977, Manuel Robinson and Howard Billy Joe Willard. For real, Billy Willard. Oy. Oh shit! I think I have. Um, I think I have another picture. Oh no, wait. I had Marjorie. Oh, I do. Ooh. Look at that. This is the house. How'd she let it? This was... Oh, wow. Shit, I should have done the comparison. This was a really nice house when they moved in. (laughs) It was a really nice house. And this is what she let it turn to. Oh, honey. With her ramblings and her squirrel talk. You got the Christmas lights. You're round. Yeah. You got... Here. That thing. To hire... you, You have... You have $100 bills everywhere you turn. Get a boy and, and, have a, and go through this place with a weed whacker. Yeah, yeah. It's and not have another one sit security all day. Yeah. And they... Just take your fake gun and sit on the front porch. Yeah. Just... You greedy old nut. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So Robinson and Willard break into the house and they steal a million dollars in cash. Fuck. And they get away with it. So two days later, they go back for more. Oh. Because it's a house filled with cash and an old lady who doesn't 
care that people are stealing her money <laughs> or something. Wow. But this time, when they're in the house, try, and they literally are taking bags of cash out of the house as like, like they're just like taking their if, time. Yeah, it's almost like an episode of Hoarders, but instead of garbage, it's hundred dollar bills. Oh my god. Uh, Marjorie confronts them in the kitchen and they shoot her and kill her <gasps> in her home. Um, they end up stealing two uh, to three roughly million dollars in cash each. Fuck. Each. Yeah. So to cover up the murder, they start a fire as they leave the house. But they're dumb as many criminals are, and they do a bad job with starting a fire uh. in a house filled with money. <laughs> they, can't, they can't get it to burn. So the fire they set just smolders for hours. Oh. And basically after, uh, I think one article said hours later and another said several days later, um, somebody notices the smoke and finally the firemen come. And this is in the 70s when they like sprayed flammable shit on every yes. surface of your house. Yes. If, like, she, if she had that nightgown on that she confronted the cops yeah. in. Yeah. Th those I, were made of matches. I held did you know that? <laughs> I don't know why they did that. And the little clip was a lighter. <laughs> Ooh. You could always smoke a cigarette. I, uh, I held up a nightgown to Karen today at the vintage shop. I was like, look how cute this is. And you, you said, uh, it'll light right up on Christmas morning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're right. I'll put it back. My father has done irreparable damage to me. <laughs> and I see fire everywhere. <laughs> And I start fires everywhere. <laughs> okay, so the, the firemen finally come. They find Marjorie's body as well as another $5 million in cash that none of these, none of the four thieves could find. Oh, my God. Um, because it had been stored in a 32-gallon trash can tucked inside a closet. So as they were going through all the other shit, they're like, no, that's garbage. Don't look in there. <laughs> yeah. In the closet? No. That's trash. That's a trash oh. can. That's the, that's the closet can. Yeah. People need that sometimes to throw shoes away. <laughs> Actually, it would be a good idea. If, I never get rid of clothes. I'm always like, I'll, I'll, I was going to say grow back into it. <laughs> I'll slim down back into it. I won't get rid of anything. It should, there should be a garbage can there. I'm like, give it up. You're never going to wear this sailor shirt. I have a weird corner where I tuck the things that I like want to give away and want to sell and want to maybe fit back into one day. And then it's like a weird tucky thing that you can't see. Yeah. And then Mimi sleeps on it <laughs> for fucking months. And I take it out and there's just this sheen of fur. Yes. <laughs> and, I, and then it's trash. Yeah. Um, have you ever done... I've done this a couple times when I drop clothes off at the Goodwill or the the, pl the place near my house. Yeah. Um, there will be enough dog hair on the clothes <laughs> I'm dropping off where I try not to make sure no one sees me. <laughs> but it's you. So they like, know. These are yeah. good clothes, but you're going to have to roll the shit out of these clothes. <laughs> Apologies. Yeah. Um, okay, so here's Detective um, Dave Paschal or Paschal or Paschal uh, counting some of the cash. Oh, wow. Look at him. That's not Herbert? No. Ah! That's his brother Dave, <laughs> by his brother-in-law Dave, by marriage. 
Look at the look <laughs> on his face. It's like, I have to count it and I don't get to have any. This is no. bullshit. After that photo was taken, he was going, one for me and uh-huh. one for you. No. Uh oh. Well, well. dog ear that idea. <laughs> when investigators searched the house, uh, and this is the part I really I don't have enough information on for my own satisfaction. When investigators search the house, all the doorknobs are, and heating vents are covered in aluminum foil. What does that mean? Baked potatoes. <laughs> Happy St. Patrick's Day, everybody. <laughs> what does My, it mean? I don't know. Oh. There's no answer, and oh. she, she's not there. Oh, I thought it was squirrel some, lady isn't there to explain what I the I thought it was like a pl- some kind of part of the plot or something. Okay. It's part of the plot in that it's um, the set decorators really going to have to do some aluminum foil work yeah. on this prequel that we're going to produce. <laughs> All right. Uh, I think it's just indicative of a, of a mind that's gone off by itself. <laughs> um, wandered away from the picnic table. Because they... <laughs> you know what else she does? What? They also find thousands of small wrapped gifts around the house with labels like to Jesus from Marjorie Jackson. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. To God, love Marjorie. Oh. You always have, you hear about gifts from God, but no one ever talks about giving <laughs> gifts to God. <laughs> Repent. <laughs> Uh, they open some of these gifts just to make sure there's not $100 bills stuffed inside of them. Because uh-huh. um, <laughs> that's not the kind of money that Jesus uses. Um, Bitcoin. He's a Bitcoin guy. <laughs> <laughs> totally digital. <laughs> Jesus. Inside, uh, instead of being valuables or cash... They find a stack of wash rags, 50 loaves of bread, around 100 pounds of coffee. <laughs> I mean, we don't know Jesus personally. Maybe that's what... Well, but right? here's the thing. As we know from the Bible, if you care about the Bible like I do, you know Jesus doesn't need you to give him bread. He can make it himself. <laughs> it's one of his best tricks. Do not gift Jesus bread. It's a good point. He doesn't, he's like, thanks. He's like, got a, he's basically has a bakery and he's, and you're giving him bread. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm good. What are you, was that fishes? No, 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 no. I got, oh. <laughs> no. But then he's like, ooh, wash rags. Yes. You can always use wash rags. <laughs> but also coffee, cakes, cards, dear Jesus, <laughs> and more, all intended to be gifts for Jesus and his dad, which is nice. <laughs> If you believe. She also laid out the dining room table in her finest china and best silver um, because she was preparing for the feast she and Jesus would have when he came back. To quote the great Tiffany Haddish, she ready. (laughs) She ready. Oh, honey. Yeah. So in days and weeks after the robbery, the two men responsible so basically I'm going to spoiler alert you the two men responsible are Billy Joe Willard and Manuel Robinson oh I told you that already yes it's not a spoiler forgive me I'm not following my own story I'm so shit faced you would not believe it okay Willard and Robinson split up one smart move they do 
Mm-hmm. Um, and they play it super cool. Of course they don't. Not in the <laughs> least. Okay, so here's, um, this is Billy Joe and his girlfriend Marjorie Pollitt because it's 1978 and everyone's named Marjorie. (laughs) I mean, can we talk about that upper lip mustache? (laughs) Is it a mustache? Yeah. Oh, it's not his, it's not. I don't think it's his lip. I thought it was chapped lip. (laughs) And sorry, are those bottom or top teeth? (laughs) Do we... Is there a dentist in the house? <laughs> this is from a time before there were fillers, where if you wanted a fuller upper lip, you just had to grow fur yeah, no. and make it appear. Yeah, these some people have lips like this, millennials. You don't know that because everyone, yeah, everyone fills their lips. That's but right. Yeah, there were times where you just didn't get a lip, <laughs> and you had to make do, and it gave you a better personality. <laughs> okay. Meanwhile, Marjorie had it all. Yeah. Look at her. With her condescending eyelids. Holy shit, those eyebrows. What's that called? Not seppuku, but the other one. Oh, I don't know. The one I couldn't, that I named incorrectly. What about the eyebrows, though? They don't exist. (laughs) They're ghosts. They're ghost brows. Her forehead's haunted. I just do like that people used to have hair like this, and it was like, it didn't matter what your face looked like, you had to have literally four feet of hair mm. going like, it was full on Marge Simpson. And like you couldn't even put your finger through it, because no. it was so sprayed. You couldn't get near it. Yeah. That was actually what would ignite the match robe, or match nightgown, <laughs> yeah. was the hairspray. It was like a full can of Aquanet inside your mom's hair. <laughs> a history. Okay. So here's what they do. Marjorie and Billy Joe, they're like, we're going to go to Arizona. They, yeah. you, don't, you guys don't have that accent here, do you? Um, you they have $3 million dollars and you're like, how about Arizona? Arizona. That's what we're going to do. Well, I think the idea was they were going to lay low. Okay. Um, the problem was that um, when they got there, they bought two RVs. <laughs> with cash. Yes. With $100 bills. So the people selling RVs are just like, yeah. Uh, he's like, uh, yeah, I'll take that one. And I want that one over there, too. They're like, it's a Winnebago, sir. You just need one. <laughs> no, I want both. Um, so that Winnebago salesman called the police. And then, meanwhile, Manuel Robinson, who stays in town, makes the exact same mistake. He goes with a friend, and buys, um, they, they buy two brand-new Lincoln Continentals with $100 bills, which I'm sure has happened before. Buying cars with cash isn't insane. is isn't the weirdest thing. But what's weird is then they went back the next day and bought two more. Dude. I mean, play it the slightest bit cool. They can't. They can't. They're like, we have six hefty bags of $100 bills. We want people to know. Yeah. So, of course, all these bills are traced back to the bills that were given to Marjorie when she did all of her big um, withdrawals. Uh-huh. And uh, so, um, Manuel and Billy Joe arrested. Billy Joe's actually extradited. I think, yeah, he's ext- he and um, Marjorie are extradited. Uh-huh. There's them coming uh-huh. back. That's them on the tarmac and the cops taking them away. Where are their Winnebago's? <laughs> okay. I just like that things are circled, but they, you can't see anything. <laughs> like, you're like, yep, I see the circles. 
Two circles for sure. So it, it did happen for sure. <laughs> um, uh, so when Manuel gets arrested, he, uh, he lives in his girlfriend Annie's apartment. So they come, um, to arrest him and then they search her apartment and they find about a half a million dollars hidden throughout her home. So he was like, that's, a, he took a tip from, <laughs> from Marjorie, the Ridge. Uh-huh. And so there was cash in her nightstand, in her dresser and in a suitcase under the bed. There was a suitcase under the bed that had $1.5 million in cash in it. Can you fucking imagine taking a nap atop <laughs> one point? Oh, the relaxation. Uh-huh. You would just not be worried for fucking once. <laughs> oh, also, uh, I forgot to tell you that while they were in Arizona, um, and w- after they were extradited, they, of course, separated the two of them, and Marjorie, gr- Marjorie Pollitt, the girlfriend, um, the authorities go to in- interview her, and uh, she tells them exactly where in the Arizona desert she and Billy Joe buried two boxes of $100 bills totaling $1.6 million in cash. So literally, this is like a screen-for-screen reenactment of Fargo. But instead of snow and Steve Buscemi with his face, it's fucking (laughs) Billy Joe and his girlfriend out in the desert just digging. Apparently, it was a really shallow hole, too. It's just like, they're like, dick, dick, dick. All right. They're like, can't we pay someone to do this? We're rich now. (laughs) No. They were obsessed with keeping everything in boxes or drawers. Don't spend the money. Squirrel it away. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, fine. I told you that part. Oh, here's those guys when they were um, being arraigned. So that's Manuel, and that's his girlfriend, Annie, right there. Caught. Um, okay, so Billy, Billy Joe Willard is pinned as the mastermind of this whole plan. Um, so he's tried and found guilty of the murder of Marjorie Jackson. He gets life in prison at the Indiana Reformatory. Good. Oh, here's him in court. Oh. oh, is he British now? <laughs> Does he look British? Yeah, he became a soccer coach, or what I like to call football. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. He's like, guilty? What do you mean guilty? <laughs> look at the look on his face. It's all so shocking when it's like, yeah, you know, you went into the old lady's house twice and stole $5 million in $100 bills. We caught you. Um, okay, so he, uh, he goes to jail at the Indiana Reformatory in 1987. Uh, he collapses while jogging and dies. So that's the end of his story. Jogging in prison. It's, there's this one part of the prison yard that's just such a gorgeous jog. There's a river, there's a riverfront trail. I mean, I get that you want to stay in shape in prison, but personally, I'd be like, now I can let myself go. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Wouldn't bit. you think? Yeah. It's like, a, yeah. Or you'd be like, if you're going to exercise, do the thing that makes you look like someone can't shiv you in the night. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, you're jogging around. A light jog. That's just, like, just why don't you paint a target on your back? <laughs> so he... Had had, uh, collapsed. They didn't even say why. Perhaps a blow dart from across the prison yard. <laughs> People like, you're just bugging me and we're in jail, so I'm going to kill sure. you. Um, Manuel Robinson is tried. He's acquitted of murder, um, but he is found guilty of robbery and arson, so he serves 10 years in jail. Um, so 40 years later, 
which was in 2015, an 81-year-old um, investigative journalist named Don Devereaux um, is talking to one of his sources about this story, and they, they note how odd it is that there was so much money left unaccounted for. Uh-oh. Um, yeah. So, especially considering that the, um, that Manuel and Billy Joe cooperated with the police mm-hmm. and like told them everything they got them, you know. Um, and when they added it all up, it was $1.6 million had disappeared Ooh. from the boxes in the desert and the, and the garbage bags in the apartment and it everything. Disintegrated. Right? So, through the Freedom of Information Act, Don Devereaux obtains FBI files on the case, and he comes across two interesting things. One, um, one of the FBI records about this that he requests is, um, he gets a report that it's been partially destroyed. It was partially destroyed in 1993. Squirrels. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, therefore unattainable. And Devereaux says this is the first time in, in researching that he's ever experienced that with an FBI file. It almost never happens. Wow. So that on top of, um, he sees in a, in a report that one of the case agent's names has been left unredacted six times in the report, hmm. which is very, very uncommon. Mm-hmm. So like any good reporter, he looks up the name and he finds the real estate and financial records of that uh, agent and he finds that that agent has a Swiss bank account um, that he withdrew money from to buy a very expensive piece of property several years after Willard and Robinson were sent to prison. Um, so Don Devereaux's theory is that uh, this unnamed in, in this article anyway, FBI agent who was named in the report he read skimmed some of the stolen money that he recovered from the Arizona burial hiding place, mm. misrep- misreported the amount of cash that was found, and then funneled into his offshore bank account. Um, the FBI formally denied Don Devereaux's request for a further investigation. <laughs> no. No, thank you, no, they said. we're good. We'll decline that. Thank you. <laughs> Please take a tour of our facilities. <laughs> Um, Watch Mindhunter. Yeah. (laughs) Netflix. Yeah. Whereabouts of the remainder of Marjorie Jackson's missing fortune are still unknown. Mm. And that is the insane story of the murder of Marjorie Jackson. Wow. One page. What a waste. Oh, my God. How is that not a movie? Yeah. No, I got to read Scavengers. Scavengers, a true story of money, madness, and murder by Dick Cady. I'm reading 100%. It. Yeah. Um, that was incredible. Good job. Thank you. Do we have time for our hometown? I think we do. <laughs> Careful. Okay. <laughs> I'm just like a bride. Oh, there's Vince. Oh, you've got green on. No. What happened? You have green on. That's right. And I have <laughs> nothing else to add. I'm oh, sorry. I'm going to be out there. Okay. We, do we need to wrap it up? Are we in a little bit of a hurry? Okay. Quick. So this will be a quick one. We have to go very fast, please, because we've taken so long. Let me just do. Let me just tell you a couple of rules real quick, and they're important. Um, because we have to go fast, you need to know the beginning, middle, and end of your story. You need to be able to tell it quick. You can't stand up and be like, oh, my God, this is crazy. <laughs> I feel so crazy. We get it, and we understand, and we're crazy, too. But tell the fucking story. It needs to be from Indianapolis, please. It needs to be good. Um, And you can't be super drunk. Remember, it's St. Patrick's Day. We have a new one about the pointing thing. Oh, yes, that's right. If you're pointing at a person next to you, but you haven't heard the story, you're (laughs) fucking dead meat. I will come and find you. 
And with that, Georgia will choose. Do you need the lights up? Uh, yeah, yeah. One person. Yes. Come on up. This way. Oh, wait. Shit. Go that way. I really fucked this one up. Uh-oh. You have to go the other direction. Wait, come this way. Can you come this way? Can you but guys then, all move your feet? But then <laughs> get down there. I'm oh. sorry. Oh. Oh, shit. Yes, girl. <laughs> She's climbing up. Yes. Yes. What's your name? Jeannie. Jeannie? It's Jeannie, everybody. Good job. Jeannie got herself up on this fucking stage. She doesn't need stairs. Oh, with help. Her um, team. Good job. Hi. Where are you from? Um, I live in Indianapolis now, but my story is from my hometown, which is Bloomington, Indiana. When I was growing up in the 80s, um, do, do I give names? Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, whatever you're comfortable yeah, okay. with. Yeah. Um, a woman named Glendon Weiniger killed her boyfriend, a bowling supply salesman, oh. one night while he was sleeping by walking up to him, picking up a bowling ball, and <gasps> dropping it on his head. No. So it wasn't premeditated? That's fucking fucking Game of Thrones, isn't it? Isn't that from Game of Thrones? Shit. She then proceeded to pick it up and drop it again. (gasps) And again. And then again. And she finally admitted to the police that she lost track of how many times she actually picked it up and dropped it. Oh, my God. So she uh, admitted that she did it, and she said, and this is... Not funny, um, but she said that she did it because he was uh, abusive and she was trying to get out of the relationship. And she said that before she escaped, she wanted to hurt him as badly as she wow. he hurt her. All right. So she uh, went on trial, and the prosecutor, to his credit, did not really argue that. His whole argument was, okay, sure, but... Maybe about the fifth or sixth time you picked up the bowling ball and dropped it, it stopped being about self-defense and became more first-degree murder. Yeah. Um, so um, anyway, the uh, she had a really good defense team, and um, the judge uh, in Monroe County at the time received a lot of letters from women supporting her and mm-hmm. saying, "We understand this." Yes. And so she was charged with first-degree murder, but anyway, ultimately she was convicted of uh, manslaughter, and the judge mentioned in his sentencing that he'd received all these letters, and she was sentenced to eight out of a possible 20 years, and she did her time, and she was released, and I did some checking, and she actually went on and got married and then died many, many, many years later of natural causes. Um, So kind of a happy ending. Um, But my connection to this story is that, obviously kind of a sensational story, and so um, when the trial happened, it was super sensational. Press coverage everywhere. And the day the trial opened, when they were breaking for lunch, 
um, reporters everywhere and photographers and cameras, and my mother worked in the courthouse. And so she was leaving her office as Glendon and her, report, her attorneys were leaving the courtroom, and there were reporters and everything hounding her. And my mom said she looked kind of uncertain and frightened, so my mom opened the door to her office and said, come in here and wait until they leave. Oh my God. And so Glendon and her attorneys came in, and my mom tried to shut the door, and the reporters were trying to follow into her office. So my mom said, we're closed, it's lunchtime, and the reporters were like, it's a public office, we can come in. And so my mom had kind of this shoving, at, sub, shoving match with the reporters. And so she finally pushed the door shut against them, and she turned around and she went, oh, those goddamn reporters, couldn't you just bash their heads in? <laughs> What's your mom's name? Uh, Barbara. Barbara, she's right. still with us? She's moved on. Okay. Yes. Barbara! Peace, peace to Barbara! <laughs> that was awesome. Amazing job. You can go over toward this. Oh, yeah. he, he'll get you off the stage. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to climb no, up. No, it's that's yours. yours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. Holy shit, Jeannie. Weekend, we've had. We, this is our first show. Every night's been a fucking great hometown. Every night, that was the fucking. That best was. Run. Yeah. I mean, fuck. we've never had a run like that. Yes. Of like great hometowns. Because here's the. If I always have to try to anticipate and see what the, what she's gonna do. And I just thought her mom was gonna be in the background of a picture. Like okay. I was like, oh, she was in the newspaper with like a weird look on her face. But no. Oh, we love it when you're wrong. And yeah. She said something that we all could picture ourselves saying yes. and then going, oh my god, <laughs> sorry. Um. Gosh, wow. guys, it's been an incredible weekend and an incredible night. Thank you so much for having us. This. You have been an incredible crowd, yeah. and this has been a fucking perfect show. Yeah. It's really, yeah. really, truly, truly. It Thank means you. so. It means so much to us that we get to do this. It's obviously the most fucking fun thing in the world to do. <laughs> to that we get to have this as our job. We yeah. really we're having the time of our life. We're doing things that we never thought we were going to be able to do. It's um, unbelievable, and we get to do it because of you guys. Because of how passionate you are about this show, uh, how you listen, how you support, and because of this community that you have built and that you are creating together. Um, it's fucking unbelievable. Oh, speaking of which, um, at Tappers, there is a meetup after this because there is a, there's a beer uh, called Stay Out of the Forest that they're making and $3 of every pint goes to end the backlog. Yeah. So go, please, and support that. Don't drive home. Do not drive home. Um, but please give $50 to end the backlog through beer tonight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
the, the, it's such a weird feeling doing this in front of you guys. We usually do this staring at each other with Stephen touching his mustache and, <laughs> la- and quietly laughing and sometimes his stomach growls. It's yeah. real weird. So doing this is just so much fun and it's just a weird part of our lives and we appreciate your support so much. You guys, we are so happy to We're be just doing thrilled. this. It's yeah. like everything, it started as this little weird nugget of me and Georgia alone in her apartment with no air conditioning, sweating <laughs> and talking about Ted Bundy. And it has bloomed into this unbelievable thing that we, it's still blowing our minds. Yeah. And Thanks you. It's incredible. So, of course, stay saved and do God's missions, right. please. That's yes. important. To both of us. Um, <laughs> but more than that, stay sexy. And... Yeah!